One of the most difficult aspects of youth sport is injury. And today, Professor David Bell from the University of Wisconsin shares some great insights with us about injury in youth sport. This is a re-edit of a previous episode, but it's really an important part of this special series on youth sports that we're conducting here at Sport and the Growing Good. Professor Bell is one of the most recognized experts researching injury in youth sport. And in this conversation, he provided some really specific and practical insights that parents and coaches and young athletes can learn from. Some of the specific comments that Professor Bell provided that I I especially see as important relate to a notion of specialization in youth sport and what he means by highly specialized youth athletes. David also talked about different developmental stages and specialization in sport and how when kids enter into puberty has an impact on their participation in sports and the prevalence of injuries. He also talks about specialization in young female athletes. There might be some different considerations for female athletes than male athletes. Lastly, what I found just really important and of practical help was what he discussed as the triad between coach, parent, and athlete in creating healthy sporting experiences for students and young people and how all have to be on board together. So this is at the heart of the issue of youth sports. It's creating healthy lives for young people, not only socially and psychologically, but physically as well. And clearly one of the considerations we all have to have is the physical welfare of young people. And even though we're on a track where a lot of people are aiming to get every competitive advantage and get on the best teams they can for their kids and get the highest levels of competition, we need to think long-term about how their bodies will handle it, not only now when they're young, but in five and ten years from now when they could suffer some long-term tolls from single sport specialization and many hours of competition. So thank you so much, Professor Bell. Thank you again for the insights you provided us a while back. And we continue to grow from what you shared with us here on Sport and the Growing Good. Madison since 2010, and I'm an athletic trainer by trade. So I spent um, the first part of my career providing medical care to athletic teams, and that experience really informed my research. And as I as I moved forward, and so my laboratory is really focused on lower extremity injuries, um, and I focused on ACL reconstruction and predicting ACL injuries for for a long time. And um, was actually sitting at my my desk and saw the sports specialization scale pop up and it was just the perfect it was perfect timing because I was trying to put in a proposal to to do a research project mm-hmm. and anyway lo and behold this small sports specialization questionnaire that we were able to put, able to put in allowed us to really answer some 
pretty important yet basic questions because it's the first time that we were actually able to kind of really define sports mm -hmm. specialization. Mm -hmm. And so we, were, we couldn't, what we found out is that we couldn't answer really basic questions about sports specialization, like what percent of kids are actually classified as specialized um, mm -hmm. and how big of an issue is this? And it was a really eye-opening experience. And I think that, that this issue with youth sports resonates with a lot of people just because they have an experience with it, right? Everybody has... Yeah. loves youth sports or have had, has had some sort of positive or maybe even negative yeah. experience with youth sports. Um, and I think what they're seeing is that youth sports have changed a lot over the past 20 or 30 years. And even, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I think it's pretty, it's dramatically different mm -hmm. um, than it was a few years ago. And I don't think that people, I think the parents are a little bit frustrated. And I think that a lot of people that kind of travel in these circles are frustrated with it, right? Um, and or um, they just want, they see that something that, that might be potentially wrong and, and are trying to figure out how to change it and what to do about it. So we read your articles, some of, the, some of your kind of empirical work and also have seen kind of your work referred to in the ESPN story, which right. in that story talked about, in the ESPN, they had a recent two-part story that talked about kind of this, almost like an epidemic of Right. of impact injuries. Right. I'm not sure if I'm using the right language, but um, and how that that's re really kind of shaping the whole kind of sport culture right now and people have this fear of missing out by g keeping their kids training all the time. Right. And, and so there's lots to read there, but I wonder if the purposes of this short time we have together, if, if you were speaking to two audiences, maybe you could talk about them separately, but yeah. one is those who are currently working with kids in right. sport, and, and that could be parent, um, a coach or like a director of a club, that yeah. kind of thing. Those who are face to face with kids today and they're working with them and what what would you say to them about what's going on that they may not know? Right. And then the second part which we can get to after that was those who are in who are working on college campuses right now, whether again, college coaches, college administrators, what can they do to kind of engage this problem? Right. So we know that um, approximately 70% of kids will drop out of organized sports by the time they're 13 years of age, wow. which is a pretty alarming statistic. Is that, has that changed over time? Well, right. if anything, it's, uh, I think actually the most recent data has now shown that that number has now moved to like 11 or 12 years of age. So it's actually gotten worse wow. over the past couple of years. Um, and that's based on the project play data out of the Aspen Sports yeah. Institute that yeah. just came out this past yeah. year. And so, there's so that's part of the problem and we care about physical activity because it's in sports because it's a great way to have physical activity mm -hmm. and to be physically active we know that if kids are physically active as kind of young adults this has transfer for health implications into young adulthood and if people are physically active in young adulthood they'll be more likely to be physically active into older adulthood, mm -hmm. right? So this kind of has this this, this trade-off effect, mm -hmm. uh, and it'll track with people throughout their lifetime, or tend to track with people throughout their lifetime. And so this has huge apl applications for the U.S., right, in terms of the obesity epidemic and some of the diseases that are associated with physical activity, mm -hmm. like some cancers, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but the other kind of side of this is that we want as many kids to be playing sports as possible for the uh, for the, all the great reasons that are associated with playing sports. Um, but sometimes these things go, go sideways, right? They go negative. And the system that we're currently, that we currently have with a lot of youth sports um, basically encourages kids to drop out 
right? And it encourages kids to 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 not be participating in the opportunities that they have available for mm-hmm. them to them. And so um, that's with when we're talking about sports specialization and working with kind of younger kids. This is one of the things that we think has some pretty negative consequences on um, our youth these days, right? So we think that there's being pressure put on these kids to kind of perform and play a sport all year round. So sports specialization is defined as um, playing a single sport kind of year round at the exclusion of other sports. Mm -hmm. So individuals who are working with, um, with kids, you know, they should kind of ask them what they're doing, right? And usually a, a quick screening question is, hey, can you identify a primary sport? So what sport is most important to you? And then how often, how long do you play that sport? So if a kid plays that sport more than eight months per year, then that kid is probably classified as a highly specialized mm. athlete, even though they might say that they're participating in other sports. Mm. Um, it's really kind of moving beyond just single sport participation. Uh, but year-round participation is really a, a key component of that. So I'm I'm thinking that through, and even so, even if say a, a young basketball player plays on like a school team mm-hmm. from say November to through through beginning of March, right, and then plays on a club team um, through into the summer, that's a that's a specialization. Even yeah. if they're doing soccer or football or other things as well. Right. Yep, exactly. You can kind of think of it like this way. I mean, think of a high school football player and maybe they play football um, from maybe July through November, December maybe. Um, They're a single, and then they don't do anything else the rest of the year. They're a single sport athlete, but they might not be classified as highly specialized. Okay. Okay. Right. We see this a lot more. So sports specialization used to be reserved for sports where you're, um, where before puberty, um, you needed to have your kind of peak performance occurring. So gymnastics, figure skating would be like the two most common. You know, in most other sports where your peak performance occurs after puberty, which is pretty much every other sport, you know, you don't really need to specialize in those sports um, to become really, to become good at them. There are a lot of other factors that are associated associated with that, like um, genetics and Practice is important, right? And it's certainly something that we need to keep in mind. Um, But playing a sport all year round, it's a recipe for disaster because we know that that's associated with um, overuse injuries. We have some data to show that's actually associated with acute injuries as well. And the big thing is that we kind of talked about also here is burnout and dropout, right? We're, in terms of the injury risk, we're seeing injuries occurring in kids much younger and younger and younger, right? ACL reconstructions are are super high. Um, elbow reconstructions for the UCL, um, you know, we used to see that in- Would that be in baseball players? In baseball or? players, yeah. yeah. So that used to be reserved for athletes who had 10 years of MLB experience. And now some institutes are showing that up to 25% of their elbow reconstructions are actually in kids that are younger, that mm-hmm. are less than 18 years of age. Wow. So this has, huge health implications mm-hmm. over the course of that athlete's entire lifespan, yeah. right? Yeah. Not just that single sport that they're playing. Yeah. So I, I think I used, to, I think I've conflated single sport with specialization. Mm-hmm. So it, it may not, if, if I'm understanding you, it may not inherently be problematic if a, if a young kid just plays one sport, maybe that's all they're interested in. But yeah. the, the, ch- the challenge becomes when, the, when they're doing it in such a specialized manner for such a, over a long 
period of time. Right. When you So when we ask athletes, hey, are you a single sport athlete or are you a multi-sport athlete? 85% mm -hmm. of kids will say, hey, I'm a multi-sport athlete. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about me, right? Mm -hmm. But when we actually ask questions about their behavior, mm -hmm. um, then it becomes apparent that up to 30% of, of, of club sport athletes and high school athletes are classified um, as highly specialized. Okay. And so this is actually going to be a little bit higher. Rates are going to be a little bit higher in females. Rates are going to be a little bit higher if you go to large schools, right? So, for example, um, if you go to a school with a thousand people in it versus a school with fifty, uh, school? with like a three hundred people in yeah. it, yeah, your varsity basketball team size is still fifteen people, right? So, there's going to be downward pressure. Yeah, those kids at those larger schools are going to be much more likely to be huh. pressured to, to at specialize younger at younger ages. Yeah, um, why the female higher number? Um, we think that's probably largely associated with volleyball, um, at least in the Midwest here, right? Because volleyball, there are certainly male volleyball players that are occurring, that, that, that we have here in Wisconsin, but uh, it's primarily female driven. It's, so It's a sport that requires specialization. Yeah, year-round participation. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is, so we just completed one of the largest volleyball studies probably ever done, and we're, we're working on kind of getting through those results yeah. at the moment. Um, but what's what we're finding is that this getting back to this idea of a multi-sport versus a single sport yeah. athlete, we have athletes, for example, in volleyball who are highly specialized in volleyball. And so they're still participating in their high school. They're still playing in the clubs. They're still doing summer tournaments. They're still doing um, a lot of the everything that yeah. that highly specialized volleyball, that's what you would think yeah. that they would do. But then they're also doing basketball on top of that and then they're also doing maybe softball on top of that, which worse. is actually the worst case yeah. scenario, yeah. right? Because they just have so much volume of participation. Yeah. Yeah. So on their off days for basketball, guess where they're going? Yeah. They're going to their volleyball club, yeah. volleyball team, yeah. right? On their off days. So they're just not getting any rest yeah. uh, and recovery, which is not the way that it should be. So I, I, I take all this in like as a person who does different kind of research and that it makes sense to me but then yeah. as a parent who has kids who want who want who love sports and yeah. like we never talk about like college or anything but right. you know that when you go into these teams it's in the back of everyone's mind like right. we want our kid to have the highest level so how does that how do those how do you deal with that because i, I every weekend I'll, i'm at these venues myself and i will see parents lining up and they're doing exactly what you just said and i'm probably guilty of it myself um, so I guess this goes with my first question, like whether it's speaking to a parent or, or maybe speaking to like a club coach or youth coaches, Right. who helps us to, on one hand we can say to parents, don't do this to your kids, but are there other people involved in that equation? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, if we go back and we think about what makes a successful youth sport experience, it's that triad between the coach, the parent, and the athlete, right? Those are the three components yeah. that need to communicate effectively in order for that kid to have a, mm -hmm. a really positive sport experience. And if they aren't communicating effectively, this is where things can fall down mm -hmm. and kind of fall through the cracks. We have these recommendations for what we call, you know, safe youth sport experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but we also have data that shows that nobody knows about them, right? That only about 20% of parents, only 20% of coaches, and about 20% of kids mm -hmm. um, actually know about any of the recommendations that we'll talk about here in a yeah. few minutes. So what are, what are some of those? Yeah, so the the first recommendation kind of seems to make sense, right? But, and a lot of this is actually probably gonna fall on the parents, right? Yeah. The parents need to be the person that, that is the voice of reason here that says, you know what, I'm gonna 
I need to implement this policy with my, my kid mm -hmm. and just take a pause for a few minutes to make sure that they're getting the rest. And it needs to not, not, I'm not saying go play video games, but I'm saying like, make sure that they're, they're not throwing 12 months out of the year, right? Yeah. And they're not hitting a volleyball 12 months out of the year. Um, and they're doing some cross training, some other training that would be beneficial to them and their athletic development. Yeah. So the first one is to delay specializing in a single sport basically as long as possible. Um, a lot of people will say, like, at least try to delay it until high school. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have data that shows that sports specialization is an injury risk even if you're in high school. Yeah. I mean, people have a really bad understanding of how to evaluate risk, mm -hmm. um, but it's something that we need to, that we need to keep ta talking about and hammering home, right? So along those, so within that um, recommendation of not specializing, right, is we encourage, another recommendation would be one team at a time, right? So make sure that, kind of getting back to our volleyball example, if you want your kid to play volleyball, or your child wants to play volleyball, that's fine, but let them play volleyball, and then don't take them to go to club basketball practice, mm -hmm. right, at, at a different time. Say, you know what, we're playing volleyball right now, mm -hmm. we're gonna have to take some time off and time away. Um, another one is that people shouldn't play a single sport more than eight months out of the year. Right, so, you know, at all ages, or I mean, uh, up at least younger. This ages. is definitely applicable in kids that are going to be before puberty, yeah. right? Yeah, that's okay. kind of like where the most risk is. Okay, but even these kids in high school, like you, you have to have time away, yeah. right? We don't allow our collegiate athletes to play their sport all year round, right? Yeah. We have time, we're at time where they, we force them to be away, and the same thing should be true with our youth athletes yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so. Try to, and it doesn't have to be like play for eight months, take four months off. Yeah. It can be for play for three months, take a month off. Yeah. Play for three months, take a month off. And I think part of the problem here with this recommendation is that the youth sport system has kind of co-opted this, right? And yeah, they don't allow has. this to happen yeah. anymore. Because, so let's think about Wisconsin and volleyball, right? I'll ask you a question. Do you know when club tryouts are for, for club volleyball? No. They're the week after the state championship. Oh. So it starts so, right away. Yeah, so it starts right away. So if you have an interscholastic, interscholastic athlete who's going to play volleyball for maybe um, April, I'm sorry, August through November, they immediately start club sport practice, and they're in that from... Starting the new year or no, even before? The, the, yeah. the next week in November, right? So then at the end of November, they're in club volleyball all the way until April or May, yeah. and then they have voluntary, you know, club and, summer camps and stuff like that, and, and club try and... Uh, summer experiences that are happening all year does, long does for matter, volleyball. Does it matter though that, uh, again, I don't know the volleyball world, but I'm yeah. thinking of like the basketball world, but if, if you're, say you're in a school season, you practice every day, yeah. you know, you're, I'm a high school sophomore volleyball player, every day after school I go to volleyball practice, I have games all fall. The club season, maybe, maybe it's just um, once a week practice throughout the spring, and maybe it's a tournament every other weekend. So it's, I'm still playing volleyball, but I'm doing it with less like density, right? Does that make a difference? Yeah, I think it definitely does because it's related to exposure. But the yeah. problem is, like those athletes are—they're not getting a break, right? They're yeah. they're they're doing so it's other things. It's not just things. the physical yeah. part, or it, both physical, right? But also, kind of a right. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. need that mental component yeah. as well. Yeah. As well. Um, so the next recommendation that we have is no more hours per week than your age. All right. So. The way that this recommendation will work, let's say we have a 13-year-old soccer athlete, right? They shouldn't be participating in any more total organized activity than 
than 13 hours per week. Of one sport of total activity. I would say total activity, yeah. right? Because this can get easily co-opted where yeah. it's like, oh, well, we're we're under, we're at 10 hours for soccer, yeah. right? But we're going to, to dance and we're going yeah. to all this other stuff that's happening yeah. as well. And so all of a sudden you could quickly get to 25 hours of activity quick instantaneously, yeah, yeah. right? I when mean, you this, say of activity, you mean like of on field or on court? Of organized, competing. driven activity where, yeah. it, like, so if you have a coach there or you have, it's being run by someone, right? Yeah. We actually want kids to go have free time yeah. and free play, yeah. right? Where they do stuff on their own um, yeah. and they can go play with their friends and they don't have to have an adult there overseeing yeah. their and driving their practice, right? I mean, if you kind of think about this, you know, if you were young, you know, you go play basketball, right? And you might play basketball for three hours, but the next day you could go take time away from that sport, yeah. right? And you could have time to, to physically recover. Yeah. Our young athletes, well, the next day, they're going to a different practice, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I think this is, um, this this recommendation makes a lot of sense. I, I, this is probably the most common question that I get from parents is, hey, I heard sports specialization is bad, this is just an example of a person who called me. I heard that my daughter is a really good soccer player, so I signed her up for lacrosse at the same time. Right, so now we have two sports that are happening simultaneously that are both have the same kind of movement profiles and biomechanical demands on so them. So the parent would be thinking that just because she's doing a different sport is good for her? Like exactly, but, okay. exactly, with no, and if we go back to this hours per week rule, yeah, yeah. right, then this would begin to make sense of, hey, we need to have this, so I, I could say like, your intent is good here, mm -hmm. right, and that you're trying to, to have some sports with some different profiles, mm -hmm. with a ball, maybe we get some transfer of like, learning about footwork in a different sport, mm -hmm. and how to, how to read defenses in a different sport. Um, like Kobe Bryant has a famous example about that, how he, he really learned about how to play basketball by playing soccer, yeah. right? Because he yeah. had that transfer from yeah. one sport to another. Um, I was like, but the problem here is that you probably are gonna violate this hours per week recommendation, yeah. Yeah. right? And that your child isn't gonna have any rest and recovery during the week. Like yeah. your off day should be your off day. Your yeah. off day shouldn't be your training to go do something else today. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next one that we have is that for a lot of kids, you know, we need two week, two days off per week yeah. away from sport so they can they can be a kid, not doing cross training, give their body time to rest. You know, in strength and conditioning, that's a principle that's been around for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Is we need we don't do just all body lifts all yeah. the day all the yeah. time. We we cycle these things in and out um, so we can give our body time for rest and recovery, which we know makes us a better athlete yeah. at the end of the day. You know. This is maybe it's slightly different, but I think it's related. I, I mean, I've seen data recently that show that kind of this um, access to kind of college athletics in term, or, or who's getting scholarships, who's making their way. And it seems like there's this trend where um, students from higher levels of socioeconomic background yeah. are getting more and more of these opportunities at the college level. So in some ways, is this hyper-specialized world of youth sport on one hand, it's it's bad on the body physically. It's expensive. It's very expensive. It's very expensive. So a lot of, but it seems like it's it's working at least in terms of in an instrumental way for families in terms of getting more kids to what their goal is, which may be a college scholarship. So I mean, uh, are they sacrificing their bodies for the scholarship? Or I mean, are there is there a middle ground where we can kids can still like play the system to get the opportunity at the college level without killing their bodies? I would say that if they're sacrificing their bodies to play at the college level, yeah. only 
what is it, like 2% of high school athletes are gonna move on to do that. Yeah. So that's a pretty terrible return on investment, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we have data from parents that show that, you know, some parents are spending $10,000 per year per kid on their sport experience. And if you took that money and you invested in your state's your tuition for your state school, you could pay. Ride. You could pay for your child to go to the school pretty easily, yeah. right? Like the return on investment there is is pretty terrible for yeah. the most part. Now, again, balance that for all the different reasons that kids, the positive reasons that kids play sports, right? And it's not going to be a total, total uh, right. negative. But right. um, if you're doing it for the, uh, you know, in our paper, we we have that idea of hey, maybe you will win the jackpot. Right, in that your kid will have a great youth ex youth sport experience, they won't get hurt, and they'll obtain a college scholarship. You, if you do that, then maybe you've won the jackpot. Yeah. But I also think that parents have a very um, jaded view of scholarships. Right. They think that a lot of parents think that a full that a scholarship is a full scholarship. Yeah. And we know that that's not the case. Right. In collegiate soccer, what is it? You know, you have a. a team of 28, 29 people, and you have 9.9 .9 scholarships to, to be up for everyone. Yeah. So unless you're the top, top athlete, yeah. you're not getting a full ride, right? Yeah. You're going to get some scholarships, but yeah. maybe not a lot. Yeah. And so it's, like, it's a tough it's a tough one to, to talk about because mm -hmm. I also think there are socioeconomic situations here where we're creating this two-tiered system of athletes who can go to these showcases, have private coaches, play and get seen by these um, by college coaches mm -hmm. and then you have people down here the glut of them a lot of them who are actually being left out of this yeah. experience yeah. and some of the NCAA data I think shows that as well where some of in a lot of these sports it's kids from higher socioeconomic statuses that are actually getting the college scholarships and so it's no longer a way to kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps in a way to kind of equalize things yeah. um, for a lot of sports yeah uh, two last questions for yeah. you are so so one is I'm hearing you say certain sports. Um, are there, are there, are there certain sports that are most? There maybe there's a little premise in the way they're doing them. I mean, I think of football is a shorter season. It's a right. you, you're, uh, it's, which is ironic because the most of the football gets so much press for being so bad for you with right. in, injuries. But right. on the other hand, is the football model where it's a predefined season uh, better than in some other sports? So that's one one question. And then the second question is so like. I'm guessing there are lessons here for people who work at the college level. What we're right. talking about, what parents say, and all that. But a lot of us work at universities, right. and so what is you know a college basketball coach or college soccer coach? What can they do in this? Right. Um, so there's two different questions. Which are there sports that are looking promising, and could we learn from them? And then are there what can people on campuses do? Right. So these are these findings are somewhat sports specific, right? Football is actually at least in Wisconsin is. Uh, not a highly specialized sport yeah. um, because of the very finite time amount of time that's, that's finite for practice. Yeah. There are states that are, I think, challenging some of those mm -hmm. rules and trying to make football at least have coaches have access to their to their kids like year spring round. Spring football type of thing. Spring football, yeah. yeah. And they're kind of taking the contact rules away from high school coaches mm -hmm. and allowing them to to have more contact mm -hmm. with them. I don't know. They're, they try to sell it as a safety reason, and I, I haven't dug enough into it mm -hmm. to really know which way to, to kind of land on that particular mm -hmm. issue. Um, but the other sports like, you know, soccer, volleyball, um, a lot of the high school sports that we that we kind of think about, mm -hmm. you know, you don't need to specialize in that sport necessarily to have success in it. Um, 
your genetics and a lot of these other factors are going to be an important driving component mm -hmm. to how you perform in that sport. Yeah. yeah. Sec alternatively, if you're a college coach, yeah. right, why should you care about this? Yeah. What's happening in youth sports, right? Yeah. Well, I think is, I think the the take home point here is that if you're a college coach and if you're in if you're in the collegiate setting, you want to have access to the best kids in your sport, right? And the way that we do that in youth sports is that we try to keep as many kids in youth sports as possible mm. for the longest amount of time mm. possible. Mm. Norway actually has a really interesting way of doing this where they um, they actually keep, they don't allow kids to keep score on anything. No adults are really allowed to do anything with, with kids besides organize them and kind of get let them get off and get going until they're about 12 years of age, right? And And then the kids can decide which direction and which sport might be best for me. And they said, you know what, I'm really interested in this sport. I really want to, to increase my training in that sport mm -hmm. to see if I can maybe have a chance at making it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that should be the case for the United States too. We have a lot of you know, kids who, you hear these stories all the time about, hey, I didn't play this sport until I was a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. And you know what, I was really good at it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that our system sometimes doesn't allow us to, for novice learners, to really pick up a new sport after like freshman year of high school, right? Pigeonholed into one, huh? Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. And you don't have the experience anymore, and that's a shame, you know? Like, the exploring sports should be a place for high school, and if you want the best athletes and you want the best people to be in your sport, I mean, I think that you should care about this So issue. college coaches can be, uh, they can promote this. I mean, they're right. visible people, they can, college administrators, college coaches, right. they're always out speaking to groups they can be an advocate they can be advocates for absolutely they can be participation an, they can be an advocate for multi-sport athletes they can be an advocate for some of these state sport recommendations yeah. that we talked yeah. about you don't want your kids to get injured yeah. right you don't want the star re the recruit that you've been going after for three years to become yeah. injured yeah. right <clears throat> the one thing we know about injury is that previous injury predicts future risk Right. If you have an ankle injury, you're much more likely to have an ankle injury in the future. Mm. And as a college coach, I think people want to maximize availability of their of their athletes. Mm -hmm. The more people that they have available, the studies show that they're more likely they are to win games mm -hmm. and have successful seasons. Mm -hmm. And so, I think all of those things are critical. You should care about sports specialization because it because of the injuries associated with it. Because mm -hmm. it's going to maximize your your participation mm -hmm. pool um, and hopefully it makes you more and the, of a winning coach. I mean the final point is the public health factor that you wrote yeah. about which is that this is a we see this whole pipeline of kids coming up and that what's at what cost to right. society which is a significant one right yeah well thank you so much this is awesome uh, your work yeah. is you really uh, timely and important so thank you Dave no I appreciate problem. it